Welcome to the world of M.W. Lewis. It's M.W. Lewis here. For episode 209, I'm going to talk about my long month. I am also going to continue my series on novelization of an adventure. This will be the second part. I, I began drafting chapter two of that novelization. I also will talk about Monday Night AD&D, New Beginnings. And I will also talk about fun times in Greyhawk. So that's the show that you're about to hear. And I will launch right in on the introductory segment with my long month. So I put up 208 right after I returned from New Orleans or New Orleans, whatever, however you may say it. I say New Orleans. And I talked a little bit about the movie, the Dungeons and Dragons movie, and I still want to have a guest come on to go into more depth on the movie. In fact, I'm probably going to run out and see it again at the end of, of this month. But I was in New Orleans to begin the month, and then I had a free weekend when I, I was able to get episode 208 out. And then the very following weekend, I went to DaveCon. And I was there from the 13th to the 16th. I got in early for the dinner. I'm not going to say too much about Dave Kahn, except that it was excellent. And I had a really great time. I went last year. I recorded an episode or two episodes about Dave Kahn because that was the convention that busted my, my cherry, so to speak, when it comes to going to gaming conventions. I had never in my 51 years of life gone to a gaming convention. And last year at 51, I did it. So now at 52, I've now gone to three conventions, two times to DaveCon and once to GrogCon. So I had a fantastic time. We had a wonderful dinner. I, I signed up for the Diamond Package, which included my room and a dinner on Thursday night. The dinner was great. Met a lot of great people and had a lot of fun at the dinner. Um, then I got to gaming on Friday, and I spent the whole day Friday just playing in all these different games. What, what was notable about Friday's gaming? Oh, oh, well, how could I, how could I forget? <laughs> I'm just playing around with you all. I played Don't Give Up the Ship with Mike Carr, a legend of Dungeons and & Dragons, and TSR, m more so with TSR. And uh, Rob Ritchie, my editor and the publisher of Smoldering Dung Games, was in that game, as well as a, a bunch of other really great people. We, we just had a fantastic time. I, I wish we had more time to ha have kept playing. Uh, we were able to come to a conclusion so sort of prematurely, uh, as, and, but satisfactory to everybody. But I'm going to get a copy of those rules. Uh, I really enjoyed it a lot. And it, it's a game you really can't play it online. You have to get six to or more, maybe, maybe up to 20 people together in a room and play don't give up the ship it, it, it's an article based war game and uh it just was a lot of fun a real lot of fun everybody was very engaged i have to say so then i played the really fun D, &D game friday night uh a D, D, uh the temple of Rao. uh really great dm adam friends with the scourge of the north the, the next day in the morning i played at 10 a.m empire of the Petal Throne, which is a legendary game in the RPG community. It predates D&D uh, uh, slightly, and it was run by a legend of gaming, Bill Hoyt, and his wonderful daughter, who sat and helped him. Uh, and uh, that I just had a great time. It's, it's kind of a mix. It's a blend, actually, of sci-fi, 
and fantasy role playing, uh, like swords and sorcery. Uh, but Bill is just a wonderful man to sit and listen to. He, he talked about his ongoing empire of the Petal Throne campaign, you know, as if it was his life almost. I mean, he talks about old characters, old encounters, the the world it's on. And, and, and these old timers, it's like they've lived a life of gaming. I, I don't think they had gaps like many of us did. And it, it really has become their life. I, I wonder if they if they can keep it all on track, what's real and what's in the game. But I, I'm not making fun, by the way. That's one of the worlds in their mind. And that's sort of the theme of my podcast. That there's many worlds in your mind. And for these guys, it's just these games are as much... Uh, are are as much their reality as as their real life, and it's wonderful. But I, I ever had a really great time. Then I got into a Gamma World game. I really wanted to play Gamma World, but that that got cut short for the auction. And I do apologize to Scourge of the North. I wanted to go to the auction, but there was a bit of a mess up with my room. Not a big deal, and this isn't a criticism. But these, when you travel a lot, you know things happen. Your flights can get messed up. Your room can get messed up. Well, the hotel actually checked me out of my room, and I went up to make a phone call before I was going to go down to the auction, only to find they had checked me out. Of course, everything was fine. I had paid in advance for my room through DaveCon. There were no problems, but it, it, as a result, it took about an hour to get it resolved. And at that point, I then I had to grab something to eat. So I ended up missing – I did miss the whole auction, which I felt bad about. But then I uh, ended Saturday playing Dungeon Crawl Classics with with that uh, DM Adam again, and I have to say, as someone who loves AD and D and basic expert, I really did enjoy the Dungeon Crawl Classics rules. I played a magic user, and according to the rules of Dungeon Crawl Classics, I could use uh, a bow, and that was great. It was really great to be able to run out of the battle, uh, uh, out of danger, and, but still contribute by firing the bow. Uh, a lot of other funny rules. We had a, a guy playing a cleric, and it's more like a spell to turn undead, and he just kept failing at it. So it, uh, he was trying to turn zombies, which we were third-level characters. So in AD&D, turning zombies at third level is, is a little bit easier. And of course, if you fail, you can't try again. But according to Dun- Dungeon Crawl Classic rules, he, he could continue trying, but it just became very humorous how many times he tried but failed. And then quickly, on the last day, I played First Campaign, which is the legendary Dave Arneson game. And once again, the leader of this was Bill Hoyt. I just say it's uh, it was a great time, again, listening to the stories was almost better than playing the game itself. But the game was really fantastic. And I played a mercenary group, and I ended up coming in, I think, third or fourth place as far as points gained. The whole objective of the mercenary band is to just not lose. You don't want to lose any of your men, and you want to get paid. So I I ended up accomplishing both those goals. So it was a really a great, great time. And uh, another one where I wish, you know, if there had been more time. And then my uh, stay in Minnesota was extended because I got to the airport after first campaign and I was bumped off my flight. Of course, I took the travel vouchers because I have a lot of travel coming up later this year. So I got up to $1,000 in travel vouchers. And they ended up putting me in a hotel right back where DaveCon was, only not at the hotel where DaveCon was. It was the one across the street. 
So I got to spend another night virtually back at DaveCon, or practically back at DaveCon. Then I flew home. And then the very next Saturday after DaveCon, I had to go to Pennsylvania because of uh, my friend Chuck, uh, first my first dungeon master, quote unquote. He didn't really know the rules, but he tried to run us through a, through a game. Uh, he died last year, so this year was his headstone unveiling. So it's been a busy month for me, as you can see, lots of traveling. I also had to work on Nicomedes Tower, as everyone knows. The Kickstarter was fully funded by March 16th of last month, and I've been spending the last, I don't know, 45 days or so uh, getting the proof done with uh, Smoldering Done Games and Rob Ritchie, and we had some art to finish. That's all pretty much done as of the recording of this episode, and I anticipate we will be sending out the download information for the PDF this upcoming weekend, hopefully before May 1st. So I, I, I'm beating the target of getting the PDF out by May in May. So we're going to beat that target. And I think we're on track to beat the target of sending the printed version out in June. I think we will have it out by the end of May. But that remains to be seen, so no promises. The virtual tabletop maps are also done, so I will make sure... The, the backers who got the virtual tabletop maps get their maps as well. And I do owe to a bunch of backers the, uh, the Tomb of Inks, of Spell Inks. I will send that out separately in an email, in a separate email as a PDF by the end of May. Just haven't had a time. But that's, that's the update on the, on the uh, Kickstarter and my module, Nick of Maidens. Now, before I... Uh, move on to the next segment of episode 209 I do have a big humongous announcement to make the jazz man many of you have been listening to his music before and after my my shows uh, and by the way I won't have as much of his music to to offer to you in the future because the jazz man is graduating high school in one more month and he has committed he committed on yesterday, which uh, you, I am recording this the same day I'm going to try to get this out. Well, actually, I'm going to try to get this out on the 27th. So I'm recording this on the 26th. But on the 25th of April, the jazz man finally picked a school. He was accepted to every music school he applied to. It was a long month of April for him, like me, but for different reasons for him. He had a look at all the offers he was made, and he was made some pretty good offers. And he finally decided to go with the University of North Texas College of Music. It's in Denton, Texas, which is north of Dallas. And it's a really fantastic music school, and it has an excellent jazz program. And it was a hard decision for him because he could have gone to the Peabody School of Music, which is or the Peabody Conservatory, which is in Baltimore, affiliated with Johns Hopkins. He could have gone to the Berkeley School of Music in Boston. He could have gone to the Manhattan School of Music, which is a really well-known music school, especially for jazz. In New York, Temple University was on the table and a few others. But he narrowed it down, and they really did a great job of recruiting him. So he made his decision, and uh, that's it. That's exciting news. I hope my listeners are, are happy for the jazz man. And whenever I can get my hands on his music in the future, I will use it for the podcast. 
So with all of that, we will move episode 209 along to Novelization of an Adventure, part two. In this segment, I will continue with Novelization of an Adventure. Since the last time I read about Carl Ugram in my exploration of novelization of the adventure, I've become aware of other podcasts that are actually doing exactly what I said. But in some of these podcasts are very fascinating as they're mixing in not only the story that they're creating, but they're also mixing in a dis discussion of rules and even rolling dice. I find it very fascinating and I'm enjoying them. Uh, quite a bit. Uh, I will give a shout out to Tales of the Manticore as one of them. But I'm not going to do that here. No, no, no. I am by heart a writer. And I would like to write th this story of Aidens, my adventure in Aidens. And I would like to create an actual novel about it. So in today's novelization of an adventure, I'm going to go to chapter two. Last time we left off, Carl and Myrtle were, were uh, set out were put out, to put it more accurately. Carl and Myrtle were put out from Tatterobe's tower. The tower had been filling up and he needed room. Carl was dismissed because he had reached the first level of prestidigitator, and Tatterobes wanted his prestidigitators to go out into the world and have adventures, to have explorations, to learn about magic in other ways. So Carl was a natural, uh, it was a natural, it was an easy decision. So it was an easy decision to put Carl out. Myrtle, he just wasn't making it as an apprentice. Tatterobes was not confident that Myrtle would ever rise up to the level of a prestidigitator, so had to put him out. So the two... At first, Carl wanted nothing to do with Myrtle. He was feeling quite burned that all the comforts and luxuries in Tatterobes' tower were now taken away from him. He was put out on the very same day Tatterobe made the decision, and it was a rather stark occurrence in Carl's life. Carl was poor before arriving at Tatterobe's tower. He had blown the family fortune on a bad business deal. He arrived at Tatterobe's tower with nothing and had come to enjoy the luxuries that often are found in a magic user's tower. But now was his time to go out and make his own way in the world. He wanted nothing to do with Myrtle because Myrtle represented failure. And Carl, after all, though he did succeed in becoming a prestidigitator, was a failure at business, his first chosen profession. In fact, he had ruined the family fortunes. But once Myrtle started traveling to the woods to the south, Carl soon realized quickly realized, Carl quickly realized that he was going to have to travel north to the local village alone, and he didn't want to do that, so he called for Myrtle to join him. Fortunately for him, Myrtle wasn't very bright and didn't realize the trickery that was going on with Carl, first tricking him to leave him, and second, tricking him to come back with him. The two made it to Grenovic, the village north of Tatterobe's tower, and made immediately for the Grenovic Tavern the fourth building from the south. Now, Carl had spent many nights in the town of Grenovic during his training before becoming a prestidigitator. He often would go there to gamble. In fact, he had become quite addicted to gambling. This night, though, the tavern was full and bustling with 
drunk men. The large tavern master, Scalagrim, was moving back and forth, trying to keep all his patrons happy, and Carl just wanted a drink. So not very elegantly, he tried to push his way to the bar, but offended a large fighting man who turned and knocked Carl out. We And then, after that, the age-old dance known to many as the bar fight broke out. We resume our story of Chapter 2. Chapter 2. Griffith Llewellyn. Griffith Llewellyn murmured a few more words of thanks to his deity, appreciative that he was able to bring health to the fallen man in robes. He suspected the lanky fellow was not religious, but rather one who practiced arcane magics. Still, he did not hesitate to drag him from the bar into the common room. Others now entered, finding mats upon which to rest their battered, bruised, and tired bodies for the night. As a holy knight of Githvild, Sir Llewellyn had not the power of a cleric to offer more healing, so he kept his focus on the brown-robed man lying in front of him. He was pleased when the man finally stirred, but understandably remained asleep. Griffith finally turned his attention to his traveling companion, Halfdan, an extremely enormous fighting man with the Siglingan spirit of adventure. The Siglingans were the last truly wild branch of the old Vicon blood, now mostly watered down. Halfdan stood like a finely sculpted statue of an ancient Vicon conqueror, stoically holding on to the man's backpack, which Griffith had stripped from him before laying him gently down. Griffith nodded for Halfdan to place the bag down, and then for the two to serve watch, protecting the man from any further hassle. He knew none of the motley men in the tavern this evening would mess with the two, formidably by, formidable with the two, formidable by appearance, fighting men. But only moments went by before they were approached by a young man whose appearance matched very closely that of the beaten man on the straw mattress. He wore a long brown robe, but was shorter and chubbier than the one on the mat. Excuse me, Sir Knight. The voice was meek and squeaked like a mouse. That is my traveling companion, Carl Ugram. We came together from the Tower of Magic, not far south of here. I hope he is okay. Good. Perhaps now we can go to our rooms and get some rest, Halfdan's baritone voice barked before Griffith could reply. My friend, said Griffith to the Singlingan. You, of course, are free to do as you please, but I cannot leave this innocent man unattended. It is my duty to give Givild and my order. He did nothing but try to gain access to the bar. The man assaulted him. If this were my land, I'd further find the authorities and press charges. But since it is not, I find it best to just let things lie. The man took your punishment fairly well. I'm sure he'll reconsider... reconsider. I'm sure he'll reconsider his manners next time. Griffith's smile at that was wide and genuine. Halfdan chuckled. Very well. <coughs> Very well. I'll remain. <coughs> Very well. I'll remain. Myrtle eyed them both as they spoke. He felt perhaps they had not... <coughs> Myrtle eyed them both as they spoke. He felt perhaps they had not even heard him, but then the knight turned to speak to him and spoke more. As for you, I am a paladin of Givvild, no mere knight, 
I am Sir Griffith Llewellyn, and I hail from the Holy Kingdom, Hyalagor. It is my forsworn duty to protect the innocent. I travel these lands on a quest and continue to the east. I travel these lands on a quest and continue to the east in the morning. He paused for a moment, staring holes through Myrtle's brown robe. Half Dan rolled his eyes and then cleared his, his throat. Myrtle shot him a glance. Half Dan mimicked a bowing gesture. Hesitantly, Myrtle bowed, if not very slightly. Griffith smiled, then continued. Your friend took a great blow to the forehead. My companion here, Halfdan, and I were standing just next to the big brute who hit your lanky friend. I suspect a stronger man would have taken it better. I believe he was hurt badly more when his head hit the floor. Sounded a bit like a melon dropped from a watchtower, I do believe. Halfdan chuckled again. The paladin was humorous at times. Halfdan tried to one-up the quip. Sounded more like my balls bouncing off. Well, that's enough of that, Halfdan. Griffith raised a hand to cut off his friend's story. How about you go back to the bar and see if you can't get the three of us some tea? The two of them completely ignored Myrtle as he protested the need for tea at this late hour. Halfdan flashed a devilish grin. After the paladin tossed him a gold crown, he turned for the bar. He'd have more fun in there anyway. Griffith did not expect him to return any time soon. Refocusing on Myrtle, he continued, Yes, by the light of Givvild, your friend Carl will be fine. So you are both practitioners of the arts of magic? Myrtle nodded. Ever polite, Griffith contained his smirk. He did not trust nor respect those who practiced the dark arts. A long time ago, these types would have been hunted down and slaughtered. But those were ancient times, about which only the most devout learned. Still, most goodly folks stayed away from magic users. They were nothing but trouble. Yet, nothing in Griffith's vows prohibited him from aiding or associating with them. He knew it was just common superstition to believe they were all wicked and on the path of evil. In fact, tales told of great and heroic deeds performed by some in the magic arts. So Griffith chose to keep an open mind. So a quick update on Monday night AD&D. New beginnings. The game kind of came to an unnatural ending in, in March. There were some group dynamic problems within the game. I don't want to get into the details. It doesn't matter anymore. But a, a core group of players agreed to hold a players meeting before the end of March. And I said, if you can work out all your differences, I will continue the game. And I was hesitant, however, to continue the Monday night game story arc that we were in. I said I felt it would be difficult to continue that game with all the bad feelings. Now, we were running the Slavers series, and I will continue to read the session descriptions. I probably will super accelerate those readings. So in the very next episode, episode 210, I will, I will do several readings from those older um, sessions because they were really fun, and, and the game was great. Until it wasn't. And when it wasn't, it was, wasn't very quickly. 
but I had indicated there might have been some problems with the game as as early as the end of last year, of, uh, end of 2022. So the cracks in the party were already forming. So they agreed to continue, but we're going to just go back and roll up new characters. And that's going to be great. So I did learn a lot based on running a long-term campaign, basically by picking off strangers online. Because that's how this whole campaign started back in 2020. And that's how it's continued. Whenever I needed a spot or a, a, a person to join the game, except with, with very few exceptions, I, I relied on soliciting people from outside of the group, people I didn't even know, and they would join. So I've learned a lot uh, with that, and I, I've come up with a player agreement that now everyone's going to have to adhere to. So I'm going to go through the player agreement first. And then I'm going to quickly read how I'm going to accelerate the game. Because I am going to keep the players in the same world that we were just playing. Which is my home brew world of Aidens, or Aidens, however you pronounce it. I, I can't speak the English language, so I don't even know how to pronounce my own uh, made-up world. So I just say it my way. It doesn't matter how I spelled it on paper, because I can't pronounce any word properly. But anyway... Here's the player agreement. World of Aidens, adventure number two, player's agreement. Now, I, I will use this agreement for any game I run, though. I'll just change the top. General terms for online play in the world of Aidens. Everyone will have their materials ready before we play. Character sheet, dice, player handbook. If you have magic items which have been identified, have note cards that explain how to use them. If you are a caster, make easy-to-reference note cards for the spells you intend to use in each session. If you play a class that has skills, have them ready when you want to use the skills. In this game, other players cannot play your character, and neither will the DM. You must remember all the skills and actions your character can take. And this is italicized. If you are unprepared to use a spell, magic item, or a skill, your turn will be passed. I have a spelling mistake there, which is annoying me. I said, you turn will be passed. Oh, gosh. MW. MW. Okay. Pay attention. Number two, pay attention. Not you, my listeners, but you should be paying attention. Number two, pay attention. Be ready when it is your turn to declare an action during melee or to participate in the discussion led by the caller. Yes, we're going to try a caller. I'm getting to that. Unless you specifically warn the group that you must do something else for a few minutes, there will be no blanket summaries given to a player not paying attention. Italics. That player will be skipped in melee and by the caller. Number three. You will be spoken over from time to time. Expect it. If you expect it, you won't get angry. To help reduce talking over, other players... Oh, I'm sorry. To help reduce talking over other players, the players must elect a caller for each session of the game. The caller will be charged with asking each player to participate in all group discussions during the session. The caller will always speak last. The caller will assign each player reasonable amounts of time, 30 seconds to 1.5 minutes, to express their opinion to contribute to the group decision. Each player will follow the first time rule, meaning they will tell the caller what their thoughts are and then refrain from repeating their thoughts again, unless called upon again. 
or if it is agreed that a wider, more open discussion is needed. If there is an open discussion beyond the moderated caller part, try not to get offended if you are interrupted. It is natural for those who get excited or feel something urgent must be said to interrupt. On the other hand, those who do that must also self-regulate themselves. And oh my goodness, I am self-editing while I'm reading this, and I really should have sent this to an editor. If they interrupt someone, they should be apologetic. Make their point quickly, then let the other person resume what they were saying. Players who talk a lot should try to defer to others. The DM should not, nor will, moderate an inter-party discussion. The players need to do it. So you can see what I'm writing in these first three bullet points are really directly uh, related to the problems that were developing in the game I was running. And I don't believe as a DM it's my job to regulate this stuff, quite frankly. My job is to make the game fun, have a fun adventure, create challenging adventures, run the rules, play the game. You know, I'm playing with people who are in their 40s and 50s. You know, get along, people. Get along. Be polite to each other. It's not my job to teach you that. Number four. This one's really important. Don't interrupt the DM while he is describing a scenario and during the conduct of the rounds. If you have a question while the DM is adjudicating other players' actions, wait until it is your turn or the end of the round to ask for clarification. Number five, try to have fun with the game and don't take it too seriously. If something happens because someone used their player agency that you don't like, just roll with it. If it turns out that a player is deliberately undermining the other players, we'll deal with it. But momentary decisions that go badly are okay. Number six, also, take your character seriously enough that you try to survive and not do dumb things. Kind of the opposite of number five. You need to find the right balance here. Seven, don't disrespect the game and turn it into a one long session of one-liners and offhand jokes. Now, this was written mostly for me and one other person. In fact, reduce the off-color jokes. That was more for me. Some people don't think immature humor is funny but I do, but I will limit it. Number eight, when it is time for another player to shine, make a decision, interact with an NPC or whatever, don't help them. Don't speak for them. Don't contradict them. Just shut your yap. Nine, use your magic items, spells, alternate weapons, equipment, etc. The DM sets up encounters with the understanding you have things to assist you in surviving. Forgetting these items can and will be very costly. And believe it or not, this is written here for a reason. Because some of the people in the party were getting sick of other people forgetting that they had wonderful magic items that they were never using. And that does... I, I, don't, I, I kind of agree with those players. After a while, you kind of are like, why don't you ever use your wand of this? Or why don't you ever use your dust of that? And I wonder... I wonder, too, why don't you? Is you just not have your sheet in front of you? I don't know. So I put it in here. Number 10, without prompting, the party caller should ask the other players. And that means without prompting from me, the dungeon master. The party caller should ask the other players about marching orders, camp designs, 
and specific details of what you are doing at all times. If the party says without any further detail as to which player goes first, who moves to the left, to the right, etc., then the DM will not engage in any arguments when he assigns things to happen to each of you based on his own imagination. If you want the players to be doing something specific, you must tell the DM. Without these details, don't complain when the DM says the boulder falls on your head. So this was so chronic. I, I was amazed after almost three years of playing with these people how many times I had to ask them just for the marching order. Or how's your camp set up? Not every time. If they set up the camp and said, hey, this is how it's going to be for the rest of this journey, that's good enough. But if we had a combat and things changed significantly, like half the horses got eaten by a black dragon and uh, all your NPCs ran off, the next time you camp, I need a new camp design. Uh, every time you they would change something and maybe uh, the, the, the spacing changed and I, I would want to, you know, they would never offer me new marching orders. So anyway, this is things I think players should just do. I, I, I don't know why the DM has to ask for this all the time. Number 11, refrain from playing another person's character. If you think they've forgotten something in the inventory, like a bag of invisibility dust, then gently remind them that we have something that could help. But don't suggest they use certain spells or do things the way you think they should, should you know, do, let me see, or do things the way you think they should. And more editing is required here. Boy, I'm glad I'm reading this. If the party is engaged in a pre-combat planning powwow, feel free to make suggestions like those, but don't be offended if someone uh, doesn't do it. The suggester, uh, the person receiving the suggestion shouldn't always feel insulted if it's, a, if it's a general planning session. Just accept suggestions. You should be open to suggestions. You just don't have to... You know, you shouldn't be forced to do things is the point here. Uh, but when we're in round by round melee, really, people need to stop making suggestions to others all like constantly. And that's why this is in here. It's it, it sort of was starting to happen on a regular basis. So we just want to limit that. I gave them some references as bullet 12 things to look up on how to be better players of D&D. &D. And then number 13, I think this is one of the this is probably the most important one of all. I, I probably don't care about any of the others. But number 13 is reward the DM. From time to time, go online and order a pizza or something nice and Uber eat it to his house. He'd appreciate it. Yeah, players. Yeah. And then there's specific terms. I'm not going to get into the specific terms. But it has to do with using VTT generators, having technology, making sure you have your stuff before we start playing. So that's it. I asked all the players to review that. They all did. I think it's going to be fine. Uh, trust me, I'm not going to be sitting there with that document on a on a Monday to Monday basis, uh, holding people to account. I'm just trying to throw up some guidelines to make the game go a little better. So what I said is we're going to fast forward the game. Now, the players don't know where in the world of Aiden's the new game's going to start, the new beginnings. But it's not new beginnings in the world of Aiden's. In fact, things have gotten really bad. We fast, we're going to fast forward the story five years. And I, I provided the players this write-up. After hundreds of years of general peace and prosperity, well, actually, it's called Life in 1091 AE, which means after Empire. After hundreds of years of general peace and prosperity through new farming methods, trade between Galuva and the Vicon kingdoms, shared knowledge, and political progress, life for commoners and the nobility in both West Storland and East Storland 
has worsened. In 1086, a mighty ancient red dragon awoke in the borderlands and took dominion. This dragon, known as Trotsky, the Red Menace, drew to him dragons from all over Storland. Blacks, whites, greens, and reds flocked to the region. Orcs, goblins, ogres, and worse also entered Trotsky's dominion, which spread rapidly southward to the northern coast of the White Sea. North of his dominion, Trotsky forced the remnants of the great barbarian tribes to either join him or retreat back to the cold lands of Nord. Bands of evil humans have taken control of the entire White Sea's northern coast, Tra <coughs> trading in slaves and disrupting trade between Goluva and the Vicon kingdoms. Siglinga's economy and political system already has collapsed. After sending two legions of soldiers north to fight Trotsky's growing power, the Siglingan commoners revolted. Now, without a national army to protect it, the northern coast of Siglinga on the South White Sea has descended into lawlessness and chaos. The elves of the Great Northern Forest, after their armies were destroyed in the Lakelands, made peace with Trotsky. A band of Altum Dryads, High Elves, from faraway lands to the east came to destroy Trotsky, but their leader, Prince Lunarad, was killed in an epic battle. Times are hard for all the goodly peoples of Storland. So with that ominous dark note, we will begin our game, and we begin the game this upcoming Monday. And we're going to be rolling the characters, and I'm really psyched for the resumption of Monday night AD&D. And that brings to a conclusion this segment of episode 209. Now on to our final segment of episode 209. Another world swirling around the mind of MW is the world of Greyhawk Friday night. This game's been going on for over a year and a half now. And not a lot of progress is being made. We only play every other week, and we miss a lot of sessions. But uh, the first uh, cast of characters kind of failed in Saltmarsh. We were trying uh, Saltmarsh, and they, they succeeded in Part 1 of U1, but failed in Part 2. So we took a vote, and although a few of the characters were left alive, despite the failure, it wasn't a TPK, but it was definitely a mission failure, we took a vote and, and moved the scenery to Lendor Island. And I think somewhere back in the fall, we started an adventure in Lendor Island. And the first couple of sessions, uh, we we did a game I called Help, I, my Help, My Sword Has Been Stolen. And we even had a guest DM for, for two of those sessions. And then the story moved along a little bit. The party agreed to go into the swamps and collect frog legs for the magic tower and they bit off a little bit more than they could chew probably stayed in the swamps one day too long and uh more than half the party was killed by poisonous toads so then we took another vote and i guess around january we decided to move the story back west in greyhawk lendor is at the very far east it's an island we move back, all the way back near Saltmarsh to the city of Gradsul, where we picked up with 
Alvin the Druid, Oak, I'm sorry, Alvin the Bard, Oak the Druid, and a new character, Harry the Dwarf Fighter. They were working at a bar, and they also had made acquaintances with some other NPCs, and lo and behold, uh, in the first session, Taryn the Magic User appears. So Taryn, Oak were original characters when we started the Greyhawk game. And Alvin was a second character for one of the players. And then we slowly introduced new characters. Sheena the Cleric and an NPC that was making reoccurring appearances and played by one of the players after his character died. Or was actually, his character was on seven days bed rest and then died. So he played this NPC, Cassandra the Magic User. And we, we got them all in, and they had a, a funny little adventure in Grand Soul where the new dwarf fighter agreed after being charmed, not by a spell, but by the DM. The DM's two female NPCs convinced Harry to participate in a fight, and we ran sort of a snatch-based uh, snatch encounter, the movie Snatch. And he was supposed to take a fall in the first or second round of his fight, and he ended up knocking out his opponent. So one thing led to another, and Harry was almost killed in an assassination attempt. But Sheena, the new character, cleric character, was able to save him. And they got him out of town the next morning, fearful that assassins would keep hunting him down, and maybe even others in the party who knew, who had met Harry. So then they were on a sh they were on a ship, the Sea Orc Seager, which is a part of a made up adventure that has is connected to Lendor Island. And I found this on a website and I printed it out. And it's by Len Lovtovka, I think is his name. And uh, we're following along this general storyline. And the next stop is the city of Gry Gryrax, which is to the east of Gransul. So the ship anchors there. It had taken some damage on the voyage from some carnivorous whales, so the party decides to take a night in an inn. And lo and behold, they're recruited to do a job for the innkeeper's son, Muck Raker. They agree to go into the sewers of, Gray, of, of Gryrax and kill a rat man named Ratman Tui. So the party goes into the sewers and they have this fun adventure and they end up killing a rat man. And the rats, the other rat men, surrender and say, yeah, you killed him. You killed Rat Man Tui. Well, in the course of the battle, Cassandra used her wand of fear, which has caused nothing but trouble for this party. In fact, one of the other player characters died early on in the Saltmarsh campaign because Cassandra used this wand of fear and he failed to save and he dove off a off of a boat in his full armor and drowned well once again cassandra uses the wand of fear and and an npc dwarf ran off because the one one player in this game is played by jason connerly his character harry was the one almost assassinated so he needs seven days of bed rest so he agreed to play this dwarf npc so he ran off and that led to an encounter with goblins they, they win that encounter, they found a chest, they got some treasure, and they end up returning to the inn, uh, and the head of the rat man they killed uh, 
turned back to human form and Muck informed them they, they killed the wrong rat man. It wasn't Tui, the gambler, that they actually killed a banker. So now the party's freaking out. Now they're like, oh, brother, this is a repeat of Gradsul. We're going to get assassinated. So they're like, we need to go to the ship immediately and get out of here. Well, when they got back to the ship, unfortunately for them, the good old captain said, we're stuck here a couple extra days because the damage was worse than I thought. And on top of that, a big shipment's coming in, so I want to stay an additional day and get this ship, this shipment to take with us to Lendor. And he assured them, he said, listen, a, a long journey east to, to Lendor is 60 to six, 50, 55 to 65 days, a couple extra days here really won't make a difference. So to the captain, this is not a big deal, but to the party, it is a big deal. So that's where we are at Greyhawk. I'm really enjoying this adventure, though. We don't play it very often. We, Like I said, every other week, and for most of this year, we've really only played once a month. So it's slow going, but I think everyone's enjoying it, and it's just we have a lot of laughs uh, in, in each session, and I, I think every, uh, I'm enjoying these little mini scenarios I'm putting together. So, you know, I'm giving the party hooks to take adventure. And if they take it, they take it. If they don't, they don't. So we're, I'm not going to run any preset modules or anything for this game. Just keep making up adventures and, and just see how it goes. And, well, I should revise that. I might throw them into a preset adventure once they reach, like, level three or four. So I did dispense uh, experience points, which I haven't been doing after each session. I decided to do it after the last session and i think three of the characters cannot level up because they did find significant treasure down in the sewers where uh the goblins had had stolen some treasure from the rat men so that was good that keeps the party motivated so looking forward to the next session of greyhawk and that's just one of the other worlds in the minds of mw and i think with that i'm going to conclude the show and hope you all enjoyed it don't forget to explore the many worlds in your own mind. Overture is not played all that often, and this is actually the first year that I've ever done it, but I chose it because it gives us a chance to show off some of our terrific wind players. There's also some heartstring parts too, but this is a chance to show off uh, two of our seniors, Shisui Tori on horn and Josh Morris on trumpet have some very noticeable solos in this piece. I think you'll, both of them are Allstate uh, members this year, Maryland Allstate. Um, so they're terrific players as well. So this is a chance to show them off. This is the Turk in Italy by Rossini.
Thank you.